Welcome to the Freudian Slip, the Identity Theft Resource Center's podcast where we talk about all things identity compromise, crime, and fraud that impact people and businesses. I'm James Lee, the COO of the ITRC, and thanks for joining us today. Who doesn't love a good, low-effort, high-yield investment? Occasionally, those deals actually exist, but more often than not, When our own desire to pad our bank account intersects with someone else's desire for a quick buck, the result is a deduction, not an addition to our ledgers. Scams have been around since at least 300 BC when a couple of Greek merchants thought it would be more profitable to buy an insurance policy on a shipment of corn, sink the ship, and get the insurance money. As it turns out, it didn't turn out well, but the scam was born and they've been around ever since. Today, your garden variety scam artist has upgraded to the latest tech, but the tales they weave to try to separate you from your cash or information are as old as our ill-fated Greek salesman. Here to help us find the fine line between fact and fiction is Diana Rothfuss, a principal global product marketer in the fraud and financial crime space for the SAS Institute and the ITRC's own CEO, Eva Velasquez. Thanks to both of you for being here today. It is always a pleasure to be here, my friend. And thank you both for having me. I really appreciate being part of the conversation today. Well, let's start with you, Diana. Tell us a little bit about SAS and what you do. Sure. Um, So SAS in general is the world's largest data analytics organization. So we do fit under um, a software company, but you know, our bread and butter at SAS is really just delivering data analytics to organizations in order for them to make better decisions. That goes to anything from healthcare to, um, you know, education to the area that I'm in, which is fraud and financial crimes, and specifically just working with financial institutions, credit card companies to make sure that we're protecting our customers. And that is how, you know, we got to know uh, Eva and, you know, started talking and working with the ITRC. You mentioned financial crimes, and we just talked about in the, in the, in the introduction about how, you know, some of the oldest crimes in the world deal with financial issues and and that scams uh, targeting individuals have been with us forever. So Eva, what exactly are we seeing these days at the ITRC? Well, it's no surprise that scams and the, the occurrences of scams have just risen dramatically, but what's happening, the particular types of scams have changed over the last couple of years. And we are still seeing uh, phony government agencies and phony businesses. So imposter scams in general, Um, those are the top two and three type of scams that we're seeing in 2022. They were the number one type in 2020 and 2021. But what's really taken off are uh, social media scams, particularly Instagram and Google Voice. I, I cannot believe the number of people who are contacting the ITRC who are having their accounts taken over. And I think it's confusing to everybody because we don't tend to think of those accounts as being particularly valuable, but boy, oh boy, are they valuable. And I know we're going to get into more of that later, but it's with the exception of those social media scams, it's sort of the revolving door. Phony government agencies, phony businesses, phony government grants, um, and and 
phony job or employment scams. They've really been around for a long time. We're just seeing the volume of those increasing. Diana, it, it even it's even in your title, fraud <laughs> and financial crime. <laughs> it is. Um, so what what is what are you, what is SAS seeing? Because you're on the leading edge of how to deal with these issues. What are the issues that we're seeing? So I think I you know I would definitely echo what Eva said about you know scams and you know what what's old is new again. And I know we've heard lots of people use that term, but it is a hundred percent true. Um, we're right now in this weird shift of being digital, but also being in person. And, um, you know, it was interesting and we're going to dive into it a little bit, but, you know, you're dealing with a lot of digital platforms, new apps, things out there that, you know, people that aren't the most savvy of users, uh, will get on and, you know, make mistakes. And really what we're seeing on our end from the organizations is, um, exactly account takeover fraud is huge. In fact, um, account takeover fraud, uh, I actually was on a Javelin webinar earlier today, accounts for 67% of um, identity theft fraud that they see coming in and out of financial institutions. So, and that's linked to a lot of the things we're talking about. For example, um, fish, the general good old phishing scam, where you get that email um, about a prince in Nigeria and they want to take your money and you don't think that people would fall for those because they've been around for so long. But, you know, our fraudsters are doing a really good job of making these seem real. Um, also, just your basic email from your bank. Or maybe it could come from one of your social accounts. It could come from Zappos if you ordered shoes. And anything that has an embedded link in there will prompt you to click on that. So if you don't look carefully, um, you know, we see a lot of individuals just essentially you don't know you're handing over your identification information just by a click. And I will also say another one just so people are aware is a lot of things that are happening via text. When you see things from the UPS, USPS, same old thing, just a lot of scams where people are trying to take your information and, and just prey on us moving so fast and digital these days. How is that happening? Is that just because there's so much personal information available that it makes it easy to execute these kind of schemes in this digital platform that maybe you couldn't do it in the in in the uh, real world? Or is there some other reason why we're seeing these things right now? So I think what we're seeing is, um, you know, it's kind of a combination of both, right? Data breaches are always, you know, the first way that our information gets out there for everybody to have. Um, I think when everything moved to digital, there was just an opening of the doors of, um, again, what fraudsters do is they don't necessarily just take your information and, you know, give it away right away. They hold on to it and they wait. And then what's happened as, you know, over the last couple of years, you know, they, they kind of had a field day because a lot of these banks and financial institutions, you know, didn't really expect to have to go to full digital transformation right away. So sometimes a lot of their legacy systems, which could predict your basic 
you know, swipe with a credit card scan, um, you know, they were a little outdated. And unfortunately, when some of this data does come in from individuals and they're trying to block and stop these fraudsters from taking over accounts, it doesn't necessarily, the systems don't talk to each other because they're behind. So banks are really working hard right now to catch up. They have caught up a lot in the last two years, but the fraudsters always find a new way. Eva, you were talking about social. Um, that's a new, that's a, that's a, it's a new venue for some old schemes, isn't it? Oh, exactly. And part of it is adoption rates, you know, to Diana's point, we, we shifted to digital and we had onboarded so many new users who really were unfamiliar with the terrain and not to get super philosophical here, but there's a little bit of this because there's so much social engineering going on. It's not about uh, exploiting vulnerabilities within the platform itself. It's about talking individuals into doing something that goes against their own best interest. And they may sort of know it, but man, the reason sounds so legitimate. And a big part of that, is, I believe, is with, over the last couple of years, when we shifted to digital, I think we really gave these online relationships, particularly on social media, much more weight than they deserve. We decided that these were, these are, these are really holograms of friendship, right? They're, they're very hollow representation of what true friendship and connection is, but it was all we had for quite a while. And so we really invested a lot of energy. And these folks believe that this contact on Instagram or whatever the, the platform is, is this true connection. And when one account gets taken over, it is like this chain of victimization. So it only took a, you know, a handful of these accounts to, to have the credentials compromised in whatever manner. And then individuals think they're talking to their friend. And the, the, the fraudsters know it and they, they know what is going to resonate with you. We put so much data out there about ourselves. Are you the type of person who really believes in causes and donates to charity? Well, then I'm going to serve you up a charity scam. Are you the type of person who's really into in, investing and you like the hustle? Well, I'm going to serve you up an investment scam because that's going to resonate with you. And they have gotten very, very crafty in getting people to share their login credentials, to share the, the MFA, those OTP codes, those one-time password codes, even though it says right on it, do not share this code with anyone, folks are being talked into sharing that code because the, the reason sounds so legitimate and because they think they're talking to someone that they know and have a connection with. And it has just set this fire that keeps burning because... Remember that old uh, shampoo commercial, I told two friends and she told two friends and she told two friends. That's sort of how this is happening. I compromise one account and they have a hundred followers. I get two of those people to engage with me, get my hands on their credentials. Then I get two more of their you know, followers to engage with me and it just goes on and on. So before we leave that point, since you since you've, you've you've raised this and it's very important, what should people do to protect themselves against these kinds of scams since they are so very prominent right now? 
Uh, we just really want people to understand what this relationship is. You don't know who you're talking to. You cannot give the same amount of weight to a, a direct message on social media as you can to a face-to-face -face interaction. So first and foremost, we have to reframe our thinking. And the second thing is verify, verify, verify. If you get a reach in from someone who you believe you know on your social media accounts, whether it's a post uh, or a direct message, if they start asking you for information, money, a donation, do you want to invest, whatever that is, that ask is, go back to the source. Try to get in touch with that person through a different means, not through the platform itself. Call them on the phone to the known phone number that you have. Send them an email to the known email that you have and realize that even then the account takeovers could be pervasive. So trust your gut. If the communication sounds different from what you know that person to be, you probably still shouldn't trust it. And, it, and if they're asking you for money, asking you to share your credentials, just don't. There's no legitimate reason why you should share that information. Dan, a lot of these, these particular scams, and I'm sure you've seen others, um, do involve cryptocurrency and other forms of digital transactions, financial transactions. What is unique about those kinds of scams that people need to be aware of? I will say first, digital currencies and cryptocurrencies, you know, just the terminologies alone, I think, um, throw people off a little bit. In this world, there are a lot of people that are educated on what they are, and there are a lot of people that aren't. So just really, I think the base of why a lot of this stuff is happening is just education and knowing what they mean and knowing what you're getting into. And um, what I'll say is, the reason why that's important is that, you know, scammers, again, are trying to find every single way and people now that want to engage in cryptocurrency and um, trading and platforms. It's this again, it's the same fraud in a different way. Um, we're talking fake websites with the links. Um, you can even find it actually, you know, in social media. You have a lot of people or friends that might send you a direct message about, you know, a cryptocurrency or the DigiCoin or something, you know, that's coming up. Hey, invest in this. And really, it just slowly after time, it'll take more and more. And in fact, last year, um, the FBI had um, reported over $14 billion worth of crypto that was lost because of the different types of scams. And you can find those in all the same ways that you would find the ones that we talked about on social that you see every single day. Um, really fake websites and phishing scams are two of the biggest ones that the fraudsters use, but they can still work because not a lot of people are educated enough on you know what they're doing in this space. Are, are these are these harder to detect in any way or are they are they are they um, or I guess put another way is it easier to fall for these kinds of scams just because maybe we psychologically want to believe that we can make money without a lot of effort? Oh, definitely. Um, you know, for example, they have w one of the other scams you can see is the fake celebrity, you know, endorsement. You could have, you know, we know how easy it is to replicate what a person looks like online. And, you know, they'll throw a big star out there that's supporting a, you know, specific type of um, what you think is a cryptocurrency, and it ends up being a scam. So they are a lot harder to track um, because 
a lot of the, I will even say a lot of our systems, a lot of our technologies, again, are just coming on to how these digital currencies and cryptocurrencies work. So, you know, we're able to detect a, a lot of the people that have set up digital profiles online, meaning, you know, your phones, your computers, it has become easier, but it's harder because of the type and the methods of the links and whatnot that they're using inside. So you just have to be very aware of what you're clicking on, what you're looking at, and what you're investing in, and be educated before you you click that link. Well, and you know, I just want to piggyback on that. I'm going to get into the psychology of it again. <laughs> um, I think a big part of why the crypto investment has become so lucrative is because with any good scam, there's going to be a kernel of truth. Now, yes, there are some folks that are still um, vulnerable to things like the the Nigerian prince scam and that and that inheritance scam, but they're they're easier to debunk because really no one has received an inheritance from the Nigerian prince, right? Mm-hmm. But we have seen legitimate news coverage of people early, they were early investors, but people who have invested in cryptocurrencies who have actually made ridiculous amounts of money. They're a very, very small percentage, but that's legitimate. So it's kind of like the lottery psychology in my mind. People do win. Someone has to win, right? So I might as well buy a ticket because someone can win. And and it's sort of the same thing, I think. You, you do know that some people have actually made money investing in this, but it's a very rare few and they had to be very, very savvy and really know what they're doing. So I think it's harder for individuals to detect that, oh, this is this is not real. This is completely false because there are there were a few true stories where people did invest and make a lot of money and mm-hmm. we're just not good at pulling those things apart let me introduce another wrinkle into this because <laughs> uh, you know cryptocurrency gets you know it's it's the shiny object everybody like ooh cryptocurrency and you know cuz it, it's it's a hot thing you know and which makes it very vulnerable to scams but the whole move to digitize more and more traditional financial transactions. And I'm thinking about more of the instant transfer kind of stuff with, you know, the, the peer to peer payments and some of the other kind of um, methods of now getting money from point A to point B very, very quickly. Are we seeing scams in those areas too? And is the advice the same? Diana, do you want to go first? Do you want me to go first? <laughs> no, you know, I'll um, I'll jump in from the businesses side. Absolutely, um, that is, you know, again become like a a, a huge topic. In fact, you know, authorized push payments has become something that we've really, really been looking into. Um, it it is hard, right? Especially you, you brought up a good point. It is it is what it is? It's instant cash, and it's gone. So there's, you know, sometimes no way to figure out where it came from, no way to track it, and and it's just out of your hands. So, you know, people are, um, you, you see it all the time. If you log into a Venmo account or something like that, and you're, you know, transacting, they ask you for phone number, like your last four digits to verify the person on the other end. And, you know, people that just will kind of go right through it, and not all organizations have... Um, I'll say rules to set up to protect for those things, which, you know, we all wish they did. Right. 
but um, PayPal has a great platform to um, help protect your transactions. Um, some other areas you will have to pay more to protect those transactions, but you're seeing more and more of them. I know Facebook Marketplace offers it as well. So more of these non, and I'll call them non-traditional because you know they're not exactly financial institutions, are kind of stepping up because that is where we're seeing a lot of this occurring. Um, a lot of the bank specific ones, you know, are very protected. That's something that's kind of been around for a while with the financial institutions, you know, going back and back like Zelle payments and things like that. But it's a lot of these non-traditional ones that, um, you know, are a little bit behind the wheel. Diana's right. People don't understand that it's the same as cash. But to answer the second part of your question, James, yes, the advice to individuals remains the same. And that is you must verify, verify, verify. You need to go to the source. So before you send money through a payment platform, make sure that you know who, you know, who you're sending it to and why, and that you understand there's no mechanism in place to claw that money back. I have so many, we talk to victims every day and so many people falsely believe, mistakenly believe that this is the same as a credit card transaction, that there are protections in place that if things go awry, they can dispute that charge. And we have got to educate people that that is not the case. That mechanism does not exist. You need to treat those payment platforms the same way you would if you're handing a stranger a wad of cash. We've, we've talked about <laughs> a lot of the, the current things. Um, let's wrap up by talking about what's next. What are we seeing on the horizon that people need to pay attention to in this particular world of, of, of scams that, because you know, there's going to be one, you just maybe not know where it's coming, when it's going to be here and, and from the direction it's going to approach, but you know, there's going to be one. What do we need to be look? What do we need to look out for? I'm going to beat the dead horse of <laughs> cryptocurrency. Okay. Um, I think what, consumers need to be paying attention to, um, in particular there is as this gets more investing in crypto becomes more and more legitimate. I just saw today that, that fidelity is going to offer investing in crypto as part of their retirement portfolio. And, and that concerns me because as we continue to make, to promote these investments as legitimate and they become more mainstream, there are going to be more and more opportunities for the scammers. So I, I really think we need to just <laughs> make the point if investing in crypto is not for the novice, just like opening your own trading account. So you may have a 401 and you have someone else that's managing that portfolio for you. Um, not everybody has their own, you know, E-Trade account. We need to look at crypto investments the same way. It's not for the novice. It's not for the faint of heart. And the, the odds that you're going to lose money there are really, really high. And it's very, very possible that it's not even going to be a legitimate investment where you lose money. There's just too many fraudulent ones that are out there. So novices, please just stay away. Don't engage. You know, it, it is just education, being, being more aware of what you're doing and how you're transacting, you know, even just going back to the simple, you know, obviously with crypto, you have to have 
a digital wallet. So protect it, you know, make sure that, um, you know, you have your private keys, um, you know, make sure that your wallet is private versus public. And then just, you know, protect it as you would your credit card and all of your other information that you might physically have in your hand. Um, I, I think that's, that's just hands down a really big thing. And honestly, that goes across the board for a lot of these, you know, we see a lot of just password, you know, simple password issues, go through, change them, you know, check your credit reports, but, you know, even organizations are catching up and they're coming on to all the things that the fraudsters have. And, you know, we're kind of getting to that midpoint in the year where a lot of companies, especially financial institutions, will start taking a look at their systems and potentially start planning for any changes that need to be made um, in the coming year and for the following year. So it's actually, you know, from an organizational standpoint, now is a really good time for, you know, you to take a step back and look and say, you know, what have we seen in the first half of the year? What do our systems look like? And how can we reevaluate that moving forward? Um, You know, better, uh, better, Better late than never, as I say. Thank you to both of you for a, a fascinating conversation. I know that we'll have the same conversation again because, you know, if nothing else, you know, the, the, the scammers, they are a crafty lot. And we know that they will continue to find new ways to separate us from our treasures. So thank you, Diana. Thank you, Eva. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. It's always a pleasure, James. I can't wait till next time. If you think you've been the victim of an identity scam or crime or want to avoid becoming a victim, you can speak with an ITRC expert advisor on the phone, you can chat live on the web, or send us an email during our normal business hours. Just visit our new website at our old web address, idtheftcenter.org, to get started. Be sure to join us next week for our sister podcast, The Weekly Breach Breakdown. But until then, thanks for listening.